Hello everybody and welcome to episode two of It's Davies World. Thank you all so much for tuning into my last podcast and for all of your amazing comments. I really appreciated them all and I mean that from the very bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. Now, in this episode, I've decided to talk about my relationship with food, as this is a relationship that's a massive part of my life. Now, I know this podcast may be uncomfortable for some people to listen to, and I really do apologise for that in advance, but this wouldn't be my podcast if I didn't address it. There are many types of eating disorders. There is binge eating, bulimia, anorexia, orthorexia, overeating, and I have suffered with every single one of them. Now, my disordered eating goes way back, um, way back to when I can remember. I mean, when I was young as a child, I always used to binge on chocolates and biscuits and I'd hide the sweet wrappers in my clothes pockets. Um, And then when like no one was around and no one knew, I would bury them so that no one just knew how much of how much I'd eaten. I didn't realise at the time how disturbing that behaviour was. I just thought that I was embarrassed of of how much of them I'd ate and I didn't want people to know how greedy I was. There were times where I did forget to get rid of the wrappers and my mum would find them in my pockets and she would go absolutely mad at me for not throwing the wrappers away. I mean, she really would lose her temper and be like, why on earth are you not throwing them away? I'm fed up, it's clogging up my washing machine. I mean, if she knew just how destructive my relationship with food was becoming, she would have intervened and she would have got me the help that I needed. But that's the thing with someone who suffers with an eating disorder. They're secretive and sometimes it's too late as the illness just gets its claws in. I remember the first time that I binged and purged. It was in 2004 when my nanny owl was dying in hospital. The whole situation just got too much for me and I just didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to deal with it. I just felt everything was out of control. And I remember I went to the hospital shop in secret and I bought bars and bars of chocolates. And I run to the hospital toilet, which was by the reception. And I sat in that toilet cubicle, ramming those bars of chocolate in my mouth. And I remember that the whole time that I was eating them, the whole time that I was just stuffing my face with them, I knew what I was going to do. I knew how it was going to end. And I remember this being the first time. Once I'd finished the last bar, I sat there in that toilet cubicle for silent, in silence for a moment or two just to make sure that there was no one else in the toilet. I listened and made sure there was no other noise, no one else was there. And then I just threw myself onto my knees and I stuck my fingers down my throat and I made myself sick until I couldn't taste chocolate anymore. And I knew that I'd bought up every single bite. I didn't realise it back then, but that was like the moment that my relationship with food was completely destroyed. It was in that moment that I'd overstepped that mark. Um, and that was the moment my eating disorder really took over. I'm, I continued this behaviour for many, many years and it became more and more frequent too. When I was hurt, when I was upset, when I was happy, when I was scared, when I was lonely, it would be my eating disorder that I would turn to. It became my best friend, my new best friend, but it was also my worst enemy at the same time. I remember one Christmas Eve 
we was all around my mum and dad's house and as every Christmas Eve we'd have a takeaway or we'd have um, some big meal as a family and this year we decided to have an Indian um, an Indian takeaway so I picked chicken korma as that is just my absolute favourite dish from the Indian people say it's not a curry it shouldn't be it shouldn't be classed as a curry but I absolutely love it anyway the whole time that I was sitting there at that dinner table eating that chicken korma with my whole family around me everyone laughing and joking and and the excitement of um, Christmas and what the next day would bring I remember I couldn't concentrate on anything else I couldn't listen to what anyone was saying I wasn't taking in what anyone was saying all I concentrated on was stuffing as much food as I could in my face but trying to keep it as controlled as possible so that people wouldn't realise that there was a problem. And then I was planning to go upstairs afterwards and make myself sick. And the saddest thing of all is that I was really, really excited. I actually felt euphoric and I just couldn't wait to get up into that toilet and to release that feeling. And I just knew, I, I just knew that it was, it was going to be the most amazing feeling I'd ever felt. Sadly, I became a pro at it. I actually became good at it, to be honest. Um, I learned new ways of being sure that I'd be able to make everything sick. I sorry, I knew I learned ways of learned new ways of making sure that everything I'd eaten that day, I could I would sick back up. Um, I would choose things for breakfast that I knew I'd be able to recognise that taste again when I made myself sick that night. And I knew once I tasted what I had for breakfast, I knew that I had nothing else inside of me. And I felt like a sense of achievement from doing that. And it is actually that reason that I've not been able to eat a Big Mac from McDonald's for many, many years. Because the taste of that Big Mac sauce brings back so many memories and it actually reignites those feelings of control. I still remember the day that my secret was exposed to my whole family and I literally felt destroyed. My family had gone to um, down to Peckham to visit my aunt, to go to my aunt and Vicky's house for dinner. And I wanted to stay at home because I just wanted, I couldn't wait for them to get out of the house. I just wanted to go in the kitchen, take loads and loads of stuff upstairs into the toilet, binge, and then spend the rest of the night in the bathroom being sick. I found that I was doing that quite a lot. I was distancing myself from my family, from friends. Um, I was was avoiding going out with people just so that I could spend time um, with my new best friend, my eating disorder. This one time in particular, when he had gone to my Auntie Vicky's house, I had binged so badly and I was upstairs with my head down the toilet being sick and I was really retching. And I remember I heard my mum's voice from behind me and when I turned around she was there standing at the bathroom door with tears falling from her eyes and there I was on the floor in front of her surrounded by chocolate wrappers biscuit wrappers crisp packets with my face as red as a tomato my fingers down my throat and my eyes watering with the strain from where I'd been making myself sick I remember the hurt on her face um, as I slumped myself back against the bath I just felt defeated I was absolutely destroyed. My mum was so upset and my dad, 
he just couldn't understand. He didn't understand. He was, I remember him saying to me, like, eating disorders were something that girls suffered with, not men. You're a man. How can you be suffering with an eating disorder? This isn't right. He just didn't get it. Um, to be honest with you, nobody understood. I remember that week, my mum took me to the doctors um, and after lots of talking to the doctor, he referred me to an eating disorder specialist um, in Guy's Hospital up in London. My mum came with me um, to make sure that I got the help and to explain everything that I was going through. I remember in I remember my mum then started to watch me like a hawk after that, making sure that I wasn't binging, making sure that I never went to the bathroom unattended, making sure that I was never left alone. I know that she was trying her absolute best. I really do. And she just didn't know what to do. I mean, it doesn't, you don't get a manual with how to deal with someone with an eating disorder. It's, you just, it's just so hard. And it's such a taboo subject as well. I was in such a bad way after that. Um, I was grieving because I just felt like I had lost something so important to me. And I was actually grieving for it. I just had the urge to binge and purge. It was so strong. I just couldn't. I remember I'd lay in bed and it would be hounding me. It'd be pounding through my head. And, and I just wanted to do it. And But I couldn't because there was nothing to binge on. Um, you know, my mum wouldn't let me do anything on my own. I, it was just absolutely terrible. I felt like a heroin addict. I really did. I was craving that feeling the release, the adrenaline, just just things that unless you've gone through that, you would never understand. I think it's the same with any addiction, whether it be a drug addiction, an alcohol addiction, a spending addiction, a gambling addiction or an eating addiction. All of those, all of those addictions are so powerful. They just and they destroy lives. After my mum after we went to um, Guy's Hospital, um, I underwent many, many years of treatment for my eating disorder. And I actually started to become horrified by the damage that I had put on my body and the stress and strain that I had put my body through. The acid from the vomit had started to strip the enamel from the back of my teeth. Now, when I was younger, I wore braces and my teeth are absolutely beautiful. Like, I absolutely love my teeth. They're like my probably the favourite part of my body. Um, and strangely enough, whenever I meet anyone new, the first thing that I look at is a smile and their teeth. So the fact that this acid had started to strip the enamel from the back of my teeth absolutely devastated me. It was, it was just, it was just too much. I also developed an irregular heartbeat because the strain that on my heart and the electrolyte, electrolytes or something it's called, um, that I'd put my heart, that I'd put on my heart when I was making myself sick, had caused an irregular heartbeat. I also had constant sore throats um, and caused damage to my esophagus. I also had red eyes and my mood swings were so severe, like literally, they was just so bad. Um, I felt like I was losing everybody because I just... I was I was acting like that you know I was I was just I was just really really rude to people really nasty um it was at this point that I started to become obsessed with my weight and my image I'd started to gain weight because I wasn't making myself sick anymore 
as I was so worried about the effect that this was having on my body. It was around this time, I think it was about 2010. Um, yeah, it was about 2010 because it was around this time that I met Luke. And as you do when you get into a new relationship, you start enjoying lots of meals out, you eat chocolates and crisps together whilst watching movies, getting late night McDonald's with McFlurries. Um, all the things, that, all these things are things that I would never normally have eaten unless I was on a binging episode. So this food just reignited all those guilty feelings and all of those control feelings inside of me and it led to me overeating and binging again but this time I wasn't making myself sick so the weight was just piling on I remember when we lived in our first house in Darrant um, I'd go to the shop at the bottom of the hill and I would buy us both some chocolate some crisps or whatever we needed for dinner but I would also secretly buy a a few bars of chocolate and a packet of donuts for me to eat on the way home in secret I would always get rid of the wrappers before I got home. And then when I got in, I would eat whatever I'd bought from the shop. And Luke was unaware that I'd already consumed thousands of calories on that two minute journey back up the hill. And I'm not kidding you. It literally was. It probably wasn't even two minutes up that hill. But I made sure that I got rid of everything before I got before I got home. My health also began to deteriorate and I developed severe sleep apnea and I had to go to sleep with an oxygen mask every single night as I stopped breathing more than 60 times an hour um so I had this mask that I used to have to wear every single night and I abs- I just looked like Darth Vader it was soul destroying to put that on and how could you feel sexy laying next to somebody with that on your face it was absolutely horrible and each time that I stopped breathing um like 60 times an hour but each time was for more than a minute I also had diabetes and I was becoming insulin resistant um, and the strain that my weight was putting on my joints was just it was just absolutely horrific I couldn't even bend down to do my own shoelaces up Luke had to do them for me I couldn't buy any clothes that fitted me. I was a 50-inch waist and I wore 5XL tops. I was absolutely huge and I I just was massive, um, just so big, probably the biggest, well, actually the biggest I've ever been. I was so depressed and so unhappy. I just didn't know what to do. I had tried so many different diets. I'd done Weight Watchers. I'd done Slimming World. I'd done Lighter Life, Cambridge. I'd done slimming peels, once from the doctor and ones that had like some kind of speed or some speed or something in them. Um, but each one, each diet, I just couldn't stick with long enough to make a difference because I had gained so much weight. I needed to do it. For, I needed to to lose one or two pound a week. I probably needed to do it for about four years to notice any difference on my weight. And no matter how hard I tried, and I I promise you, I tried my damn hardest every single time I started a diet. I worked so hard at it, but I just I, I just couldn't keep it up. I never had the willpower to carry on. And I think, as I said, I think it's a fact that I knew I had so far to go until I was anywhere near being at a healthy weight. I just felt like I was fighting a never-ending battle, like, and I was always losing. I was never, ever winning. I was never achieving anything. I was just always the loser. My eating disorder kept winning every single time. And I, and, and as a result, I was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and I was becoming suicidal. I was so depressed, and it felt like 
I was always crying. I literally had enough and I just didn't know which way to turn. I couldn't bear the crippling pain anymore. I didn't know which way to which way to turn. I didn't know I didn't know how to carry on. I knew that I needed serious help because I was in such such a bad way. Then in 2015, I had to go to the doctors for the results of um, a sleep study. So obviously, because I had sleep apnea, I had to do sleep studies, which checked how many times I stopped breathing through the night and to check whether I was on the right amount of oxygen. And when I was there, he asked me to step on, he asked me to step on the scales. Now, when I met Luke in 2010, I weighed 12 stone. But as I stepped on the scales in that doctor's room that day, the scale shot straight up and I weighed in at over 28 stone. Now, I knew what I was doing to myself, but I was shocked. I was gobsmacked and I just couldn't see any way out. The doctor, um, he then told me that I was requiring more and more oxygen each night. And I was now at the highest amount of oxygen that I could have. Um, and if I continued the way that I was going and I didn't do something drastic to start to lose this weight, then I would end up dying. He told me that because of this, I had like a life expectancy of eight years and I was absolutely devastated. I was 30 years of age and I was being told that I would be dead in the next eight years. How the hell do you go home and tell that to your your family and how do I tell Luke and how do I look at my family and knowing that you know what where I was and what I was doing and and what I had done to myself I I hadn't I hadn't like got a disease like cancer which was taking my life I had developed an eating disorder and that was killing me I actually don't think people realize the extent of this of of that dreadful illness I really don't it had gripped its claws deeper and deeper into me and I just felt like I was no longer strong enough to fight back. I tried my hardest and I mean, I really did, but then it always seemed to win each and every time. It didn't seem to give me any kind of break or respite from the voices. I just, I knew I needed help again to beat it because I just wasn't strong enough to do it on my own anymore. I knew it was time that I had to admit defeat. I didn't have any more energy inside of me to fight back. I was literally done. I was on the floor and I had no more fight left in me. I had failed. That's that's what it felt like. I had absolutely failed everybody and myself. I just sat there and I realised that I was no contest to this illness. It had defeated me and it overpowered me at every single battle. It had trampled all over me and I couldn't go on anymore. And to be honest, I didn't want to go on anymore. I couldn't go on anymore. I just didn't have any more energy inside of me. That was it. I just, I was finished. I just felt like it had won. It had finally beat me. And I tried so hard for it not to. I really did. But I just couldn't do it anymore. I was exhausted. I was drained. I was so depressed. I was so tired and so fed up of picking myself back up off the floor, dusting myself off and trying to carry on. I had done it for so many years. And like and like any other abusive relationship, there is only so much that you can take before you just before you just have to throw in the towel. 
But the difference with this relationship was that I couldn't walk away and meet someone new. I was stuck with this crippling mental fucking illness and there was no running away from it. There was just, there was no escape. I didn't know, I just didn't know how to carry on. It would only be, I I knew I'd say now, okay, well, you know, this is it, draw the line, let's start again. But it would only be a matter of time before it beat me again. And then I would feel like this all over again. It was a never ending vicious circle. I knew I was never, ever going to win. And I just needed to learn to accept that that this eating disorder was just far too powerful for me. It's worse than any playground bully because there's there's no escaping it. There's no, there's just no escape from it. The bully lives inside my, the bully lived inside my mind, and does not give me a moment's peace. I was surviving, but I was not living. The bully, or my eating disorder, is a mental health illness, and it affects my emotions. It affected my emotions, my well-being. It affected how I thought, how I felt, how I acted. It just felt like there was no cure from it. There was no escape from it. Like with any mental health, any mental health illness, there's no blueprint, no, no, no guides how to escape it because mental health is different for everybody. It affects everyone differently. No two people are the same. And I just felt like I was living in a war zone and then that war zone was my mind and I just couldn't escape it. I really, I really, really did try, but I just couldn't switch it off. It was there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, nagging at me. It would start quiet, like just a little whisper. I would try to ignore it, but then it just got louder and louder and louder. And then eventually it was like screaming, like just screaming at me. And it just and it just drowned out every bit of noise around me. And it got to the point where the screaming was the only thing that I could hear. I wanted to give up and end it all. And then I would talk to my beautiful nan or my beautiful mum and I just reminded myself of how much they loved me and how much they needed me. I would look into Luke's eyes and I'd see how much he loves me and how much he needs me and how devastated they would all be if I wasn't there anymore. Or I'd look at my precious little Brooklyn, I think she was like four years old at the time, and I would realise how much and I realised how much she needed her uncle Day Day. And then I would build a little bit of strength and resistance and I would fight back. But that only lasted a little while and then it just would trample all over me again. But that day in the doctor's office, it felt different. I never had any other choice. I needed to take back control of my life. I needed to overpower the eating disorder. And it was that point that my fight back started. Now I'm going to end this podcast here as I think the next chapter in my story deserves a podcast all to itself. Thank you so much for listening to this latest chat, this latest episode. And I'm really sorry for how uncomfortable it may have been to listen to. But I wanted to be I want to be completely honest and share my whole journey with you, not just the highs. I'm really looking forward to sharing the next chapter with you. And I hope you are really looking forward to listening to it. Anyway, guys, speak soon. Lots and lots of love.